This episode is brought to you by Devo Bats. Please go check them out at devobats.com. Check them out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. They have started their 12 Days of Christmas. There has been some amazing things deals on there. Some really great products that you can go check out. Please go check them out. A fungal banner code's coming up for 10% off. Not quite yet, but it'll be coming up live. Amazing bats. We love the fungos. Please go check out the great sponsors of this podcast, Devo Bats. Also, please check out Safeguard out of the Tri-Cities. Top quality products. All the fungal banner swag is made by them. They have been doing top-notch quality stuff for us, guys. Safeguard out of the Tri-Cities. Give Dave Cruz a call. Hey, Fungo Banner fans, back with another episode of your Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner podcast. I am Eric Sorensen here in the new Big Country Studios, about to be joined by Jason and Kelly here any minute now. Guys, we've got a dynamite episode ahead. Eric Fiedler, head coach, Enumclaw High School, longtime federal way coach. Guys, this episode does not disappoint, so please make sure you get to your spot, get your headphones on, get a snack and a beverage, and, and enjoy this talk. And you'll get a little heated here in the seventh inning stretch when we bring up the stealing signs of the Astros. Great conversation, though. Guys, check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. Get on there. If you get on iTunes, rate and review us. Take a screenshot of that rate and review. Send it to us in our DMs. We got a Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner cage jacket, hitting jacket, and a hat and a T-shirt for for anybody that takes a rate and review, sends it to us. We'll put your name in the hat to draw here towards the end of the week. Guys, we appreciate the listens. We appreciate you guys that are out on the Twitter, on the Facebook, talking with us. We love the interaction. We even got a couple listener responses at the end of the podcast. But guys, I can't wait. Eric Fiedler, Enumclaw High School. Here comes Coach. Banner fans, we're back with our guests this week. We're really excited to have them on. Coach Eric Fiedler, head coach at Enumclaw High School. Coach, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk some baseball. You know, it's it's the month of December right now, and I am so excited that we're able to do this on a Wednesday night, talk some baseball. So first off, our hard-hitting question right away, what's your favorite fungo? You know, and there's absolutely no question. We, we, we won the state title when I was a coach at Federal in 2001. And uh, I had this old blue Rawlings fungo with the same tip, by the way. Um, I used it for a little bit afterwards, and I kind of retired the thing. I don't even use it anymore, but I it's always nearby. In fact, it's in just outside my bedroom. I don't sleep with it, but uh, it's, 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 it's close. And, uh, <laughs> and I, you know, like we were talking a little bit beforehand, I, I still remember the infield outfield before the 2001 state championship game. And you guys probably will think that I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I'm telling you, it was the best infield outfield I've ever seen in my life. We didn't bobble a ball. Everything was perfect. I fortunately, uh, by just good luck, didn't hit a ball poorly. <laughs> and I usually do. I usually, you know, hit those pop-ups that no one can field or those crappy ground balls that no one can get to. But it was a, a great any Audi. And then I actually brought it to a middle school practice and I wanted to show it. I coached middle school baseball in the fall at Enumclaw Middle School. 
and I brought it to middle school practice and I have my uh, baseball players help coach in the fall. So those that aren't playing another sport and uh, we're taking in infield outfield and, and my young guys weren't doing very good. And I, I didn't slam the bat on the ground. <laughs> like those guys want to say that I did. I kind of tapped it on the ground and the thing snapped in half. Oh. And, uh, mm. So I, I taped it, taped that part back together. And I, I remember the rest of the practice, my high school players who were coaching with me, they couldn't stop laughing the rest of practice. And so you know, a little chuckle over that. Why is it the most? That's my, that's my favorite fungo. I always know where it is. It just seems to funny to me. They always, the, the most, not even the most vicious hit can snap a fungo in half, but the good ones, it might See, not that's break. That's what I was telling my high school coaches. Yeah. And they didn't believe that. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know, this is a subject that we haven't even, we didn't even write on the, the sheet, but you're talking about the infield outfield. And I'm one that's a true appreciative of a great any Audi. And yeah. and that's I'm glad you said that because that's a whole nother podcast we could talk about that and and the years it, it that we oh man but, but you know what though I, I I I've seen and I'm sure you coaches have as well I've seen great infield outfields uh, lead to a poor performance on the field mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. great ones and and vice versa you know oh, yeah. and it doesn't always mean how you're going to play mm-hmm. but I do believe it's critical. <laughs> You know, and I, I stopped hitting any Audi. I got my knees replaced two years ago, and so I have my assistant Steve Murphy do it. And I do believe how coaches respond after an infield outfield before a game is absolutely critical. Oh, I mean, if you look PO'd and upset and stuff like that, especially high school kids, you know, they're they're not in the middle of a 60-game summer season. They got 20 high school games, and they can do the math. And if they see coach all pissed off before a game even starts, they're thinking that they might have wasted an opportunity. So I think that's absolutely critical that even if, even when they're sticking up the joint, man, <laughs> just got to go with it and get them back into the mood to perform well. well and that's something I wish I would have heard my first year coaching baseball because it took a couple of years for me to realize that one. Uh, when coaches storming <laughs> up in front of the dugouts, probably no, 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 this is the greatest message getting to the kids. We haven't even done anything yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk us through your path in coaching and what where you started and where you to lead you where you're at today. As far as coaching? Yes. Um, so I, I started teaching. I'm a math and astronomy teacher at Enumclaw High School now, but 30 years ago, and it's 30 years, and you can tell from the gray hair, um, I started at 91-92 at uh, Fedway High School. And I really wanted to coach baseball. In fact, I remember the interview. They said, what would you like to coach? I said, baseball, number one. And then I think number two, I said basketball. And I'm not even a basketball guy. Then I said, quote, I guess I'll coach football. And I didn't know that the football coach was on the hiring committee sitting right next to me. And so I stuttered and stammered and said, well, I'd love to coach football. <laughs> when I got hired at, at Fedway back in 91, 92. No baseball jobs. Bob Stewart was the head coach at the time, um, longtime Federal guy. Coached uh, Dan Spilner. I don't know if any of you guys know, remember the name Dan Spilner. It's from the 70s. I have his baseball card. But he coached Dan Spilner at Federal High School. Um, and I talked to him. He said, you know, I just don't have any openings for you. And, uh, and, and he didn't offer a volunteer spot at the time. I think he just didn't know who I was. So I coached slow pitch softball at Federal High School for a year. And that is about as fun as the flu. The girls were great, but it wasn't a lot of fun. They uh, transitioned over to fast pitch. I coached fast pitch for the next four or five years. I actually played fast pitch for uh, three years when I got done um, at Pierce uh, Community College. I, I played half a fall ball at Pierce Community College and then quit. 
And then my brother recruited me to play men's fast pitch. So I coached fast pitch for about five years. And then Stuart was still there. Coach uh, Stuart was still there. And he hired me as a JV coach in 97. He retired and I took over in uh, 98 and coached at Fedway until the 2005 baseball season. And then I, um, I, I took a, I mean, I, I said that Enoqual was my dream place to be in a su summer game once in 2004, I think it was. And, and Dan Hennessy retired at, as baseball coach at Enumclaw. And so I jumped at the chance and was fortunate, fortunate enough to get the job. And 16 years later, here we are. Coach, at Federal, you guys had a lot of success. Um, you had three consecutive years from 2001 to 2003, making to the state finals. 2001, of course, you guys got your big state um, championship. What were what were you guys doing to create that championship environment there at Federal Way? Was it any type of particular coaches that you were hiring at the time? Was it the way you guys were running your practices? What what was it that uh, kept that that environment built? Uh, you know, that I, goal? I would like to add, looking looking on it. I'm sorry to cut you off from your question there. Oh no, you're fine. You're fine. Uh, two, 2000 and 2004, those years that bookend those uh, 01 to 03, I'm not sure how good we were. I mean, especially in the 2000 year, we were pretty good. And and, and we got to the playoffs and we laid an egg, uh, dropping two straight. And I kind of put that on my, my shoulders, not my kids. Um, we didn't prepare them. We were, we were horribly talented. I mean, you look at the 01 to 03, we had lots of D1 kids, the Ishikawa guy and uh, you know, I ended up playing with the Giants and we we're wonderfully talented, but we were not prepared for the pressure of high school playoffs. And it was different. And, and I felt at the minute we got to the park, we were playing down in Kent, our right field. And it's like, man, this is different. And we didn't put our kids in pressure situations the way that you need to, you know, and I, I think what uh, you tend to, you know, I'm a, like I said, I'm a math science teacher. You t tend to, when you first start, to uh, teach or coach the way that you were taught or coached. And, and so when I took over at Fed Away, that's kind of what I did, you know? And uh, we decided at the end of the 2000 year, my assistant coach, Danny Graham, um, and myself and uh, the rest of my staff that, hey, we, we have to change the way we practice because the way that we practice does not prepare. It prepares them for competing against the Thomas Jeffersons and the Decaturs and the Pierre Alps. And Curtis High School, those were all really solid teams in the you know in the early 2000s. They didn't prepare you to go into a playoff where hey, you lose this one, then you're in a loser's bracket, or if you lose this one, you're done. And our kids didn't handle the pressure very well. And so the changes that we made in practice were if we were ever doing any type of repetition type drill, we cannot have lines of kids. You know, and I, I still go around and I'll watch a youth practice and and and, and you'll see you know coach with probably his son at the front of the line getting a heck of a lot of coaching and then you'll see a line of 10 11 guys waiting for a ball to be hit to them and we just don't practice that way um some of you guys may know the name bob goulding was a coach from california and he does a thing called 15 steps i don't know if you guys are familiar with that at all but that's type our uh, the closest that we get to repetition in our in our practices defensively i mean there's balls going all over the place you know and i'm fortunate to have a coach that I can send with the outfielders. I have a coach that I have with the middle infielders. I'm with the catchers and sometimes the pitchers, unless I'm the pitch. Sometimes I'm the pitching coach. I've had a few pitching coaches over the years and I have a corner guy. And so they're getting tons of repetition and they're getting coaching on the run as quickly as you can possibly can. 
Um, and then as far as defensively or offensively, there's not a ton of times where we do just straight BP. I mean, I'll, do, I'll throw it in the morning. If it's a rainy day, yeah, we'll do a lot of just straight BP on rainy days. But if we got an opportunity, we'll play a two-inning game or four-inning game or a seven-inning game. It, it depends on what we're doing. And, uh, you know, a two-inning game is usually a coach pitch, you know, type deal, and we'll put them in situations, and we try and get it moving, moving, moving. And uh, it's just – it's also competition, and we compete – we got the scoreboard going when we do two inning game, you know, and there's, there's stuff at stake. You know, we always do some sort of conditioning at the end of the practice. We don't run them until they drop. But um, if you win, win the two inning game, you'll have less comp less conditioning than at the end of practice, you know, and then you also try and you got to make it fun. You know, it, 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 I know people hate hearing that, you know, the whole, everybody gets a trophy. You got to make it fun type stuff. You know, we'll, intensely coach our kids during practice. I invite parents to practice. I go, but brace yourself because they're going to get intensely enthusiastically coached <laughs> at times. And they do, you know, and uh, we'll, we'll do fun stuff for kid, for conditioning too, you know, and uh, we had a, <laughs> one day it was before my knee surgeries, you know, we had this one guy, Kyle Thompson, ended up playing at that uh, Nazarene school in Idaho. Northwest mm -hmm. Nazarene, is it? Yep. Yeah, ended up playing there. Really good player, faster than anything. And people, sorry, coach. <laughs> people were, uh, you know, kind of making fun of me. Like, hey, let's have Kyle race Coach Fiedler. And, you know, they're joking about it. And uh, I finally go, all right, where do you think Coach Fiedler needs to be to beat Kyle around the bases? And they all said second base. I go, are you serious? You don't think I can beat Kyle from second home and – as Kyle's running around from first, second, third home, they said, no way. And all right, all right, all you guys that think Coach Fiedler will win, you're on this side. All those guys think Thompson's going to win on this side. I smoked him so bad, by the way, with two <laughs> horrible knees. You know, and, and they got trash talked all the way while they're doing their conditioning as well, too. So make it fun, make it intense, and like Pete Carroll says, compete, compete, compete. You got to try and make it a competition, even if it's something as silly as conditioning is what I believe that, that you need to do. So our practices are very competitive and that changed. And, you know, and the, and the next year we had our ducks in a row and our kids, man, I'm telling you, they were, they were raring to go, you know, and they, you know, they weren't overconfident. They, we knew we were good, but we took every game like it was, you know, just dreadfully important. And, you know, and I know I'm kind of rambling on about this, but I'm pretty passionate about it. I remember the week before um, we played North central in the state title game. Um, we had a, I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday, it must've been a Tuesday practice. Cause I want all, all four of my guys, my main dudes, you know, with feeling really good about pitching in the state semis and state finals. We're practicing at Fedaway and, and, uh, Brady Everett was, uh, was my catcher. All state catcher ended up going to Edmonds and then he went to Clemson and then he ended up at Wazoo. And at the time that he left Wazoo, he was the single season, single season home run record for catchers. He was our catcher. And Brady was at the plate, and I had my, like, second or third string catcher behind the plate, and catchers had to call balls and strikes because we are out the field coaching. <laughs> and Brady got two strikes on him. And if you know Brady Everett, you'll find this a hilarious story. I tell uh, – when I see Marbud, I tell uh, Coach Marbud about this story. He goes, yeah, that sounds like Brady. <laughs> so he's at the plate, and he's got two strikes on him, and I had a – you know, one of my dudes throwing. We had four pretty good dudes, and he – threw a fastball. It's just right down the can, you know, and it was right straight out of like, uh, what's that? Uh, is it naked gun, the baseball movie, mm -hmm. you know, the baseball movie. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, where the catcher catches it and the guy turns around like, up, oh, are you going to say anything to me? It was just like that. So I yell on there at my catcher, go, is that a strike or a ball? And he said very quietly, it was a strike. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, and Brady throws his bat down and he goes, fine, coach. If you're going to let them stick bats up our, you know what, <laughs> then I guess we have to live with it. And I just started laughing and I said, run <laughs> and i go everybody oh, so i said of all oh, and we're running you know three days before the state semifinal. i'm not pissed i like the intensity you know and when they got back you know being just incredible competitors they were fine brady was fine mm-hmm. he got pissed at the moment but he was able to drop it and then fast forward to the day before the state semifinal, we're practicing coach young at, at foss high school he was the coach there at the time allowed us to practice on uh Foss's grass, which was right above Cheney Stadium, which is where the state final game was played. And we do this thing in infield outfield called perfect relays. And, uh, you know, it's pretty risky to do that because if you drop a ball, if the relay isn't perfect, the communication isn't perfect, if the ball isn't received by whatever base it's going to, we start all over. And we were stinking beyond belief. And Coach Young was right there. You know, and so I'm kind of barking and stuff and talking to them. I, you know, we got to keep doing this and keep doing this. And it went on way too long. My pitching coach even came in and he goes, feed though, you got to stop. And we finally got through it. <laughs> I remember <laughs> Coach Young kind of looking at us and we stuck too. He's looking at us like, these guys made the state, state semifinals? You know, <laughs> it's like, we're just shocked by that. And then we just played a tremendous Friday and Saturday and won the whole thing. So, I mean, those things I remember. There's uh, the games I don't remember, but those things leading up to it, you just never forget. Absolutely. And you know, one thing you touched on there that I'm really, I was really excited to hear because it's been something that's on my mind. You know, if we get a season this year, we have to make up for a lost season and then potentially a, a shrunk down to right now it's seven weeks, but you're, you're two inning games after, and maybe not instead of BP. And that's kind of been on our coaching staff's brains of how are we going to make up for, you can't really, but if you can try to make up for a lost season. And I feel like that's something that that we have really been diving into of creating more competitive environments to try to create more game-like activities to, you know, maybe we can play an extra, what, you know, six, seven innings a week just by some scrimmages. Is that something you do that you guys script beforehand, or is it just – well, how do you guys go into that? We, yeah, we'll – like if we're playing a two-inning game or a four-inning game, we'll, we'll script the situations uh, – you know, just those, those things, especially early on when you have kids new to a program that you, you know that they're going to panic a little bit, mm-hmm. first and thirds, and holding runners on. We have a, a pretty elaborate system to, to hold runners on. It's not too complicated, but it's something that takes a little bit of practice to do. So, yeah, absolutely, we'll script it in advance. And that's cool that you're looking ahead to to, to next season. I, I still struggle with uh, the lost season of last year. Yeah. We had 10 seniors when we were going to be a – underrated and very, very solid baseball team last year at Adam Claw. And um, my heart still goes out to those kids. It was just absolutely painful. I mean, I mean, I have a fundraising uh, person and her and I, we drove around to all 10 houses and, you know, and when the season finally got canned, what was that end of April or May? I can't remember when they finally canned the thing, but gave them all their letters and, kind of did a little banquet on the fly there for our 10 seniors and it took all night to do it. But I tell you what, there were a lot of tears involved in that. And that night was a great night and just a troublesome night too. It's just, it's just, it was absolutely just heartbreaking. 
you know, and it was so nice is that, you know, I, and this is kind of the fabric of the, the community of Enumclaw, you know, we'd go over there and the parents, you know, and they'd come up, shake my hand and they didn't thank me for coming over. They didn't thank me for coaching. They just kind of, you know, either get, embraced me or put their hand on my shoulder and just said, I, I'm so sorry, you know, and it's their own son standing right there. I'm an old guy that's, you know, lost a lot more baseball games than I care to remember, you know, and, but they're still having the, you know, the compassion for, for the old coach. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. I don't, I don't wish it on anybody and every baseball coach in the state yeah. and God around our nation has had to deal with it. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's just devastating. I will ne I never wish this on anybody. This is, it has been pretty terrible. It really has. Yeah, it's awful. Awful. Coach, talk about, uh, you know, obviously your time at Federal Way was successful and made the move to Enumclaw. Kind of, what's it like going to a new, a new school, a new setup? Maybe don't understand the youth baseball setup or or how things kind of work there. You have big plans, big goals. What's it like moving to a new? Um, a new school, a new program, and starting it from the ground up. What are kind of some lessons you learned from there? I know a lot of people have moves throughout their time and their coaching careers. Kind of what was different from different locations and those type of things, and how do you handle those situations? Well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things I would – It's it, that's a great question. There's a lot of things I would do differently had I had to do it all over again. I, I kind of – you know, and I, 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 I definitely didn't handle it the best way I possibly could. Nothing bad happened. But I kind of just had the assumption that everything that I did that fed away, oh, I'll just, this is my program. I'm just going to change an FW to an E. And it, it's, it's a lot more than that. And I, I wish I had, in hindsight, jumped right into summer baseball because the opportunity was there. The opportunity hasn't always been there out in, in Enumclaw for me to coach in the summer. We have some great select programs in our area that take some of our kids and our kids play a lot of different sports and, uh, Kent Ridge coach John Flanagan and I actually coached a summer team three and four years ago. We had to fold because we didn't have enough kids. But I had an opportunity to jump right into summer baseball, and I thought, well, this is going to be quite a transition for my family. And so I want to get set and get my teaching situation set up first and kind of do baseball as the, you know, as the year goes on. And my family was fine. I just I made a mistake. I wish I would have jumped right into the summer program. I more or less was offered, hey, you can take this team if you want. And I probably should have done that, you know, and I think what that would allow me to do is the communities are different. They're, they were both, Federal was a great community when I was there and and, and uh, it's changed now. I don't know if it's, I mean, you hear a bunch of things. I'm not there, so I don't want to comment on it, but Enumclaw is a fantastic community, you know, but things are different a little bit, you know, uh, their, their, their son is regarded a little bit differently than theirs, than he's regarded out in Federal Way. And I think that would have kind of put me more in the fabric of community and uh, maybe allowed me to make some changes to our program. Because when we uh, started that first year, and, it, and Coach Hennessy was a, it was a great coach, you know, but when you get a new guy, you take it in a different direction. Not necessarily better, not necessarily worse. But uh, at the beginning of that year, I really felt like our kids – the things that I found important, the kids didn't really find important. I mean, we had a game schedule for Cheney Stadium, just a regular season game at Cheney Stadium. And we go to Cheney Stadium, and I don't even remember who we were playing that's lost on. We were competing like crazy for four innings, and we were not a very strong baseball team. And all of a sudden, we kind of lost it, and there was laughter in the dugout. 
And then after the game, every mommy and daddy wanted to take a picture of their son at Big Cheney Stadium. And <laughs> and I, uh, I wish I could take this back, but I walked in there. I said, nope, on the bus. We got on the bus. We drove back to Osborne Field at Inclaw, and we ran in, in the middle of the night. And uh, probably wasn't the best move on my behalf to win over my brand new parents. You know? and so, <laughs> I got some, got some feedback on that, but I, you know what, I, I would just say to any coach that you're moving to a new committee community, you got to try and ingrain yourself before the season starts some way, somehow, it's not good enough to just be a teacher. There's something that has to happen before that takes place, you know, and starting weight room in Enumclaw, you know, that's, that's kind of an issue, you know, I, cause I can, I can get four or five guys. And so we do it. Absolutely. We do it, but I don't get my whole squad there. And I'm fine with that though. I want my kids to play other sports. That's fine. But if I had to do it all over again, I would have coached that summer, most certainly to try and instill my program, just so I had a core of kids that knew exactly what my expectations were, had been through some good times and some bad times during summer baseball. That way they know what to expect in high school. And I think we would have definitely kickstarted the program a little bit faster. I think that's the tough part with uh, with the landscape of, of things right now is that in certain people's eyes, the summer ball is the afterthought. And we've talked about this before in other episodes and, and the high school is the afterthought, you know, yeah. and I think back in that time, I think summer was not as expansive and the select thing as it is now, but, but I've seen some programs that have, have started summer activities within their program from a high school setting and have a lot of success mm-hmm. because it, it sets that standard. It sets that expectation. Um, so it, even if it's the littlest thing, you might be not be able to do it in the summer, um, but doing things during the year, a little something here and there to kind of instill what your your philosophy is, what your program is. So that way you get out to day one on, on March 1st or whenever it is for you guys and you have 10 days to prepare. It's not this shock and awe moment. Guys yeah, know what to expect. They, they understand your personality. They understand how you work. So I, I think it's really important for you know, at least in my eyes, not having coach at the high school level, but seeing the high school level to build those relationships. So there isn't that clash. Well, I do it here this way. I do it that way. You mm-hmm. set those expectations early and guys know what to expect. I agree hundred percent coach, you know, and, and, and as you were saying that, I, you know, I remember our first game, so, you know, and this is, you know, you learn from your mistakes and you're never too old to make mistakes and you're also never too old to fix them. And I remember our, our first game, no idea again at Enumclaw who we were playing. But Enumclaw used to come down to the field, and so I don't know if you've been to our facility very often, but the gym is kind of up north, and then you walk south to Osborne Field. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Jerome Collins was the basketball coach at Federway, and I remember my first year, I kind of digressed here a second. My first year, we went 4-16 and 16 at Federway, and in the process of that, right before the end of the season, we had about four games to go, he walked into my classroom and goes, how you doing? And Jerome's a basketball guy. He's not a baseball guy at all. And, and I go, well, I'm not doing so good coach. And uh, the extent of the conversation was, uh, he goes, Feather, you need to coach everything. He goes, you need to coach how they wear the uniforms, how they walk to the field, how they do everything, coach everything. And so I did, and, you know, and we had some success at the end of that four and 16 year, we had some pretty good success. Well, that's another mistake I made when I came to Enoclaw. I didn't coach everything. I kind of figured, well, you know, these kids will know certain things. And so I'll never forget, fast forward to that first game, I didn't tell the kids how I wanted them to walk down to the field. And so here they come. You know, the other team's already there. 
And I see them coming from center field and they're not walking together, which drives me nuts. I just, you know, I, I, I don't want them to walk like soldiers. I'm not that regimented, but I want them to walk together like they're a baseball team. And so they're not walking together and they're wearing whatever they want to wear. I had some guys with just Under Armour on, some guys have a uniform on, some guys have their hats, some guys don't. And they walk in the dugout and I'm going, what's going on? And they go, oh, coach, we're used to wearing what we want during pregame. And then we put our uniforms on. And I had to fix that in the dugout. And what a waste of their time. So you know that these kids are going into the first inning of that first game they've ever played for me. They're not thinking about who they're playing. They're thinking about what Coach Feather just said to them as they just walked onto the field. And don't tell me there's any chance that they're going to play as well as they can when that's what's on their mind instead of the guy that's across from them. You know, and so I, you're spot on with that, Coach. You know, and it's it, it, absolutely, if, you, if there's a way to ingrain yourself before <laughs> it even happens, it's what you got to do. Had I had, had it to do all over again, again, I would have done it differently. Would we have won any more games? Absolutely, we would have. We would have competed better at least. Absolutely. And I think, Coach, too, that the parents suffocate that. You know, they, they see that and, you know, they get on Johnny or Michael, you know, because they're, you know, not carrying themselves the way they've been taught, you know, and, and yeah. so you have the support of the parent. So, you know, that that's so huge. I think all coaches, we all kind of experience that low of learning experiences before we start to rise to the top. But uh, the thing is, it's the same thing at Tracy Prep, you know, I had to go through those things and kind of set that trend, you know, with the parents and, and also the players. And once we understood that, then it was just, you know, money. Yeah, you know, it, it just, feeds off each other. You know, once you get it rolled, it feeds off each other. You know, I don't get too many exactly parent issues ever because they know what to expect, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. um, I don't lose too many kids either. But, you know, when they come play baseball, they kind of know, they, they, they know the system, you know, and it, that's another piece of it is that you, you have to find a way to foster your leadership amongst your kids. And it's not just going to happen yeah. by magic. It's not just that the dude on the Hill, the dude at shortstop or behind the plate, you have to foster that a little bit. And we started, uh, Oh man, it was my 16th year at Edom Gloss. So I would say 13, 14 years ago, we do a leadership program during the season, you know, and so if we have too many rainy days in a row, we'll, we'll do a leadership seminar and, in Steve Murphy's classroom. He's a social studies teacher that's taught leadership in the past. And, and uh, he brought it up, you know, many, many years ago, he goes, hey, you want to do this with our kids? And so we did it and it's fantastic. You know, and it's an interactive leadership program. I remember what the curriculum is, but it's a certain curriculum that, you know, our kids dig, you know, and it, it, it's, it's a, it's a cool thing. Absolutely coach. I, I, I think that's a, a really big aspect of things because if we want them to be leaders but if we don't teach them how to be leaders what are, how do we expect them to to do yeah that? But, in my day it was just the best player on the field was your leader mm-hmm. you know and, and and i mean we didn't have all this other stuff that was getting brought into you know the dugout you know and the kids have a lot a lot of different stuff going on you know and some of them will go through the school day without really interacting with anybody they have their nose in their phone all day long and Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't that way when I was a kid, you know, you, you had to interact and, and there are kids that can hide out and not interact. And when you get on the baseball field, you, you can't play very well unless you interact. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into our seventh inning stretch portion of the podcast. And this is a, a subject we texted about a few times and I'm really excited to dive in. And my mind's been racing for uh, the last few days when we talked about it, but we're going to start off talking well, this is kind of a long question, but what's your take on the Houston Astros 
scandal. The ethical way, is there an ethical way of stealing signs? And is becoming a lost art of doing it? And is it a lost art of people trying to, to be able to mix up signs and, and hide them from other people? Well, first of all, I mean, you're going to have to remind me of those other parts. Sounds good. You know, you probably we got a lot heard to dive I, in I here. get pretty, pretty passionate about stuff. I'm not sure if I've answered any one of your guys' questions yet because <laughs> I get going onto my uh, little bandwagon here. But uh, I'm still pissed off. You're doing good. After us. Yeah. <laughs> doing good. <laughs> I'm still upset with the Houston Astros. Um, you know, especially the use of technology, you know, and that's, I think that was pretty clear. And the fact that there were people higher up in the organization that knew what was going on, you know, and um, it's, it, it was just an extremely, I don't know, it, it's emotional for me too. You know, it's like, I've always enjoyed the sign aspect of baseball. You know, I, when I was a kid, and this is way before you guys were probably around, I'm sure it was, but I grew up going to Tacoma baseball games at Cheney Stadium. You know, I'm talking 19, late 1960s, early 1970s. And there's this one gentleman at the game, and he was a, a special needs person, and he would stand in the aisleway, and he gave signals the whole game, the whole game. He's just giving signals. You know, at first, you know, I remember just being a, a little boy with my two older brothers, like, what's he doing? They go, well, and mom explained the situation to me. And I thought, why, why would that appeal to that gentleman? You know, and then I started watching the coaches and watching them, their signals, you know, and watching the Mariners back, you know, in mid late seventies uh, when they started and trying to, you know, play signals with, with the catchers back then, like, what are they going to call here? And then when they get a runner at second base and they're mixing up the signs, you know, so it's a very special thing to me is, is, is signs, you know, and realizing, oh yeah, you need to mix up your signal when a guy gets on second base. I was too young to have a pitcher that threw anything but just a crappy fastball. You know, it was before they started throwing, you know, deuces and changes and splits and all that stuff, you know, but you know, it's, it's from my beginnings of baseball is signals, you know? And so fast forward, when we got to high school, our noses and our eyes were on the coach or in the dugout and we're trying to swipe. There's a big difference. I mean, coaches give signals and, uh, you know, a multitude of different signals for a reason, because they know people are looking at them and they want to hide them. I mean, if if we wanted to be as easy as the Houston Astros and involve, you know, technology and filming from center field and all the stuff that they're accused of doing, I mean, it's that, that's that's not even <laughs> that's not what the idea is. You know, it's totally unethical what they did. But we've been trying to swipe forever. You know, in high school, we rarely swiped. You know, and and as a coach. I guarantee you guys, I've been swiped more than I've swiped anybody else, and I am absolutely fine with it. However, if I had a coach that I knew that took a video camera or his phone or something and filmed my signals, yeah, I think you're I think you're stepping over the the line a little bit, you know. And uh, you know, you're getting close to it at least. It's not quite what the Houston Astros did, but I, I think you're getting really really close to the line. You know, I, I changed the way I give signals about, you know, five, six years ago, or it's probably even, I think it's further ago than that. You know, we have a mixture of, uh, you know, hand signals, and then we also have verbals too. And I, I think that's critical too. And, and that's really important. I've had some kids, and I don't want to make fun of anybody. I definitely I won't say any names, but I have some kids that really are sign challenged. You know, they're not very, no matter how simply you make it, they don't get it. You know, in, in, in the classroom, we call it differentiating instruction. You know, the kids are at different levels as far as everything that they do. 
you know, and so we went to 50-50. I'll do numerical signs for some of those kids that are sign challenged. And then if I got certain guys at the plate or on the base paths, we'll, we'll do a different thing or same thing defensively. It, it depends on where we're at. You know, you got to, I do believe you got to meet the kids where they're at, you know, and not expect them because it doesn't, didn't work for me to, when a kid missed a sign, to call timeout and smoke them. That just, that didn't get better play from that kid for me. You know, and it wasn't good for the kid and mom and dad. They everyone knows he missed a sign or feeder wouldn't be calling timeout. And so, you know, I, I went to two different sign system. You know, and um, it's fun. You know, I, it, it's fun I, to tell kids, "Hey, I want you to watch that pitching coach and see if he can swipe." You know, and I think that's perfectly ethical to do that. I want when I'm giving signals to a pitcher, I want them to try and swipe. You know, if I'm at third, I want to I want people to try and be swiped. Heck, I remember uh, about ten years ago. Um, we were out scouting and I sent someone to Auburn Mountain View and uh, I believe you guys have had Glenn Walker on this show. Yep. You know, and at the time he was doing almost all numerical signs and uh, my player comes back and he hands me the spray chart and some other stuff. And he also, Oh coach, I also have, and he gave me like five pieces of paper with every <laughs> number system that Glenn Walker did that night. And I'm looking at him, I go, what's this? He goes, he goes coach, I think I got a, a pattern. I go, what? And he tried to tell me that he didn't have a pattern. And I go, you know, you can randomize numbers on a calculator. So I have a feeling that Coach Walker is sharp enough cookie to randomize his numbers. So I think you might have wasted your time doing that. You know, so, you know, we do it too. In my numerical system, they have we have a wristband and um, I randomize the numbers. I have certain offensive and defensive plays and randomize the numbers. They're different every game. You know, and and then I also have a, a way. I mean, all coaches do a way to seem like it's the same. It is the same number, but it's actually a different number. And so it's it's not real complex. Kids get it, you know. And that's that's the mm-hmm. thing when I started incorporating numbers, kids get it. But you know, there's another thing too. Is you know, we 2011 we played at Safeco Field in the semifinals. There's times you can't hear. You know, there's times you get a lot of people, a new team coming in, even though it's not as crowded mm-hmm. as the Mariner game. Or when the Mariners play Toronto or somebody <laughs> decent, <laughs> that was a shot up my beloved Mariners. That's right. You, you can't hear very well, you know, and so you can't have just a numerical sign system uh, for that. I think you need to have, yeah, you need to be able to change. It has to be flexible so you can change it. So, anyway, I'm glad I didn't get real pissed off about Houston, but I'm I'm very angry still at the Houston Astros. <laughs> I'm with you because I, I totally am a hundred percent on board with you know as soon as you start using the technology like that, that's where you cross the line. But you know. It, yeah. It's one thing, you know, and the teams that we play in certain leagues and, and games, like, like even a non-league game that we play every year, I know when they have our sign. And it's a great learning opportunity for our catchers to grow yeah. and, and do that. And, uh, like, some of the most fun times I've had coaching baseball, one of them's against DeSales High School. Coach Watkins was the head coach. And it was like, Coach Watkins, me, the assistant coach, we, were, we had stationed our assistant coaches so the other team couldn't see him giving signs. And yeah. by the time that yeah. game was over with, I was – exhausted mentally because it's like well what's it and you could see people are leaning and it was it's just it's a game within the game that i think is so much fun and, and we it is, you know, and we had uh we we played todd beamer back in oh my goodness probably 2003 2004 and they were just coming on they ended up having some really good players there and it's one of my later years at Fedway, and we had this guy named andrew conklin and uh andrew went down i think he played in arizona maybe i can't remember where he went to school to play, but he was, we were at Todd Beamer high school and he's pumping 94 and he's got a 12, six. That was just snapping 94 with a 12, six in high school. And Beamer is hitting the crap out of him. 
And I was with my pitching coach, Danny Graham. I go, I'm telling you, they're swiping them. He goes, look, look at their bench. None of them are looking at us. He goes, look at their coach, third base, bo third base box. I go, I'm telling you, they're swiping you. And finally, I saw Justin Mentick. The, he used to coach at Auburn. He's now Sumner assistant. He's staring right at the pitching coach. I go, look at that guy. <laughs> I go, he's looking right at you. I go, change your signs. And so he did, and it was too late. But anyway, the next day, because of rainouts, we had to play Beamer at uh, Fedway High School. And Danny Graham, my pitching coach at the time, he hears this all the time. He couldn't be there because his son was being born. So Coach Feather's calling pitches. So the first inning, I go to my catcher, I go, and I have a sophomore who throws about 74 miles an hour going and gets a really Todd Beamer team. I go, hey, listen, I'm not switching signs at all. I go, you know what I'm going to do? You're calling the first inning. I'm going to take the rest of the game, but you got the first inning. And I go, but you have to look at me every pitch. And so he looked at me every pitch, and the whole dugout at the time was looking at me, and Coach Mentick was looking too. And, um, you know, I went one, two, three in the first inning. Next inning, no one's looking at me. I called the rest of the game, and we <laughs> the crap out of them, you know. And so, and that's awesome. I, I think it was awesome. And I, I'm not certain it was Coach Mentick that was swiping, but if it was, man, nice job. That's great. Yeah, I guarantee you, I've been swiped more than I swipe, and I'm okay. I'm okay with that. As long as you're not filming it, I'm okay with it. <laughs> and I think we should give a lot of kudos to coaches that are able to do that and have that gift to be able to be focused into the details of the game, you know, and I think that, you know, the biggest part of it is that we're teaching kids about being measure of good character, right? Yeah. Being ethical, you know, telling the truth, you know, and what, you know, the example with the Astros, I mean, it just shows to you that, Hey, you can cheat and get through life and, you know, and what they thought they could get away with, you know, and that, that's just, I don't think that's right. You know, especially, you know, when we're talking, you know, all the way down to little league, you know, you're working with kids and you say, Hey, this is, you know, keep the game pure, do it correctly. You know, it's super yeah. important that we keep that going. I will say though, I had a, I had a plan to get Jason when we were going to prep this year and I had a garbage can that was going to travel with us and, <laughs> and one of the old school D or V, you know, with the, the, the VCR tape in there, and I was going to say, where can we set this? And, uh, dang COVID, you know I wasn't able to do that. I know you're joking, but that's another thing. It's, you know, is there anything worse as a baseball coach when you think you're getting swiped and you're not? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and, and and we'll yeah. do so. I I, yeah. I have my – I coach my runners <laughs> at second base. They'll give a bunch of signals, and we're not swiping a darn thing. You know, and I love it when the catcher goes out or the pitching coach comes <laughs> out. We're not swiping anything, you know, but it kind of looks like we are. You know, you plant that – see the doubt in a coach and you never know what decisions he's going to make as the game gets tight. Oh. Coach, I want to ask you the, to, you know, we get a lot of first time listeners, um, you know, first year coaches out there. I just want to ask you how, how important do you think it is to have defensive signals for our, your team um, and not giving away too much on what you guys do. You know, I don't want to, you know, expose all your secrets on your success, but what are you guys using, you know, wristbands, numerical numbers, uh, touch? It, um, what are you guys using there? You know, Claude's been successful for you guys. Are, are you talking about, like, picks or, like, where to, yeah. where to position? Yeah more, yeah, more of your defensive setups. Um, I know that, you know, you'll see a lot on the Major League Baseball side. You see even seeing down to some of the rookie ball guys are, are using uh, flashcards, you know, mm -hmm. uh, three-by-five cards for – different position uh, or different hitters throughout the lineup for defensive setups. Um, you know, Eric and I were just talking about this the other day. Um, I believe last season, well, not in this last season, but the season before, he, 
you know, doing defensive switches are super important to sometimes from uh, advancing a, you know, getting it out to, you know, giving up another run. So, yeah, yeah. you know, how, what are you guys doing on your, you're in there at Edom Claw? It's, it's, it's a combination of uh, uh, verbal signals and, and, and hand signals as well, you know, and, you know, in our outfielder, we outfield, we do it the old fashioned way, you know, you know, hand in front and hand in back and, you know, and just pointing and I have an outfield coach. And so he's got three guys and, um, he looks at the scouting report for the game starts, you know, and if, if it's a guy we don't know, you know, we'll just play it traditional. If it's a three guy or four guy, we'll play him slightly to pull unless we know more about him. We usually know about people's three and four guys and top of the order type guys. If it's a guy we don't know, we'll play it straight up. Um, infield, you know, again, it's a combination of, of, of verbals and, and, and hand signals. And I think it's absolutely just critical. And here's another piece, kind of like signs, you know, you want kids to, you know, understand signs and, and not be afraid to try and swipe them as long as they're doing it, you know, in a, in a good way. Um, we, uh, boy, I just forgot my, I lost my train of thought with that. Um, <laughs> I just totally dropped it. Uh, anyway, my, my, my infield guys, uh, we'll have some verbals and we'll say, we'll have some hand signals. Oh, I know what I was going to say, uh, holding guys on is another thing that can be a lost art, you know, and, we run like crazy. We got decent speed, but we'll run like crazy, you know, but then you play a team like Auburn Mountain View with Coach Walker and some of those other good programs. All of a sudden the game changes, right? And you got to, you got to attack it a little bit different way, you know, and so our, our kids have to practice that and be prepared for that. We're not going to, we play Auburn Mountain View. We know we're not going to be able to run like crazy on those guys because they'll hold us, you know, so we spend a lot of times in practice, you know, just on looks, you know, and, and not just guy at second, but guy at first and um, but we also have picks involved in, in, in everything that we do, both verbals and, and, and hand signals. And, you know, we back pick at first base a lot, you know, but again, you play Auburn Mountain View, you're not going to back pick any of those guys, but you know, a lot of guys in our league, you know, they get lazy at first base and we have a nice pick at third, but I hate pickoffs at third because a lot of times pitchers like to throw it away or catchers like to throw it away at third. <laughs> but, uh, we have a few picks that we do at, at the second base that work pretty well for us and, um, you know, as far as, you know, just picking guys off and things like that, I'd rather hold runners on and give our guys a chance to play defense rather than have people run rough shot all over us. So, and people rarely do that. We've had some decent catchers and, uh, it's always the pitchers that you got to work with, with holding guys. They're usually not quick enough to the plate. Coach, the follow-up there, what, as kind of the, the big thing in MLB baseball, and it's trickled down to college. I know we do a lot of it, but the shifting and, and yeah. how often you guys shift and, and maybe what information you would need in order to put a shift on what, how have you guys kind of implemented that? Have you, have you not? And what extent do you guys go in shifting? I'll never, you know, I, I just, you get so limited views of guys, you know? And so I don't think I'd ever bring a guy all the way over, but I mean, if I have a guy who's, you know, seventies on the Hill, and I got a big pole guy up there. I'll, I'll play my shortstop. I mean, like extreme six hole, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll move him all the way over there. So it's almost looks like he's standing behind the third baseman, you know, um, I, I, I would, I will say that uh, I'm more extreme than I used to be, but I still am not willing to trust the analytics like, you know, MLB and college do that you see all the time. I, I just don't have trust in, I, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not a believer in it. Mm-hmm. And I've never, I, I've never seen anybody against us bring a guy all the way over from the left side of the infield 
completely over to the right side of the field. We haven't seen it just yet. But you know what? It is, a, like you said, Coach, it's a trickle down. It's going to happen. You know, and everyone scouts. Everyone that, you know, really enjoys the game and wants to do what's best for the kids, they're all looking at people and, and, and things like that. But you know what else is going to happen with that in my mind? And, and that's why, you know, if I get going on this too much, there will actually be tears in my eyes. That's why baseball is the greatest sport ever. Baseball is going to adjust here shortly. It's going to adjust. It will. It just will. You'll start getting drafted, you know, and, you know, the days of like, you know, there's there's no one at third base. They're all pulled over to the other side and and your four hitter saying, heck, with that, I'm going to drop one down on third base. It's, it's coming. It's going to happen. I, have a, I, I, I know it will because baseball adjusts to everything that happens. Yeah, I think I think our view on things, it's that uh, that risk reward, right? What are you willing to give up? You know, you have that same four hitter up and maybe there's a runner on second base. And, you know, I, I'd rather have him drag bunt than hit a double in the gap here. You know, yeah, so yeah. And, and I think that the hard part at the, the high school level is you don't have that same amount of data. You know, mm -hmm. for us, we're able to purchase a service that sends us spray charts of, of all our opponents. Yeah. And so we know exactly where they're going to hit it. And, you know, I, I know at the bigger programs like yourself, you know, the, a lot of players don't really hit their stride and play every day until their junior, senior year. So you really only have a small window to capture that data. You know, in the past, before this service, we were to, we would hand chart all our sprays, you know, yeah. for every opponent. And we know we wouldn't shift crazy unless we had this, absolute consistency that it's going to hit it there but now having a service you know again that's the trickle down from from the pro end is now all the data they're getting is getting to us and and theirs is through the roof the amount of data that they have they can put a guy hmm. on a nats behind and it's going to go there at <laughs> most of the time yeah you know so i i think it comes down to acquiring data and i think data is a, a big thing it's a big hot button thing now but the biggest thing is what do you do with that data? Are you prepared to take that data and adapt how you're playing in order to put guys in the, in the best spot for success? You know, yeah. and, and, and the other thing for us too, on the shift side is that if, if it takes a power hitter, if you're going, you know, all the way over and he's trying to shoot the other way, you've won, you know, if that guy hits home runs or doubles and all of a sudden he's trying to push the ball, you know, sometimes you win in that category because you're taking him out of his best element. Yeah. But again, it's the Perfect. thinking part of the game and, and what you're willing to give up in order to get something is, is huge. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But also, you know, a, a three, four hitter, uh, well, maybe not a three, four hitter, but a lot of the hitters in your lineup in high school, they're very different kids in March and April than they are in June, July, and August. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, I mean, I coached summer baseball long enough to know it's like, man, that dude can really rake and he wasn't raking in high school at all. And, you know, and, and, and yeah, you're absolutely right on the data piece of that. I agree 100%. I think that's that's a, a huge part. For, you know, we don't usually shift a lot at our level, but we had an opportunity one time in a district tournament, and I had seen the kid hit in the morning game, and then against us, mm -hmm. knowing that he hasn't hit a ball there yet today, and it wasn't like we were in the second extra inning, so it was like the ninth inning of the game, and we made a five infield guy, and to see it to make a kid have to do something. It worked out yeah. in our, our gamble, but everybody was looking at me like, what in the world are you doing, coach? I mean, I'm so glad it worked out because I would have heard about it on the other end. But, uh, but, I've, I've had that look a few times. What in the world are you doing? Right? I, I think we all get that one after a while. <laughs> coach, our last one, our, our parting parting question is is just talk about relationships. And, and I know for our program, 
just how important relationships are, whether it's coach to coach, coach to player, player to player. Um, talk about how important that's been to your your guys' success and in, in not only where you're at in Claw, I mean, in the past with, with Fedway, you talk about having conversations with some of those players in the past, but but how has that relationship piece been been kind of key to your guys' success and, and where you've been? You know, and it's it, it kind of going back to uh, becoming a you know a young guy thirty years ago to an old guy now. Um, you know, a lot of that has changed. I, I I think I've always had good relationships. I think they're better now than they ever have been. And one of the things that I, I truly believe at my core is every person that I have on my roster has to have hope. There has to be some sort of hope. If I keep a kid, he's got to have hope. He needs to know what his role is and have hope. You know, and I, I look back and, you know, I got a banner right in my uh, TV room up here, the 2001 state championship batter, banner. And I, I look at three or four kids on there. I don't know how they ever had hope. I think I was just, it was a stroke of luck that they showed up. I kept them on my varsity baseball team. They had zero chance of playing. Our team was so good. Somehow we made it through the season with those kids, you know, and I look back, it's like, man, for even that year, and we only lost three baseball games that year, I would have done things a lot differently. You know, they have to have hope in that because if they don't, you're not going to have a relationship with them afterwards. And I can point to three names right there. I haven't seen that guy. He might've disappeared out to the face off the face of the earth when he graduated. I have no idea. Um, I don't, I'm not going to be unrealistic with you. I don't keep close touch with every kid that leaves my program now, but I can certainly tell you more about every one of my kids as a person now than I could 20 years ago, you know? And, and so in answer to your question, the relationship is, is, is everything. It's everything. And, and, and it, it needs to be modeled coach to coach. You know, I, I've had some times as Steve Murphy's my assistant coach and 15 years ago when I hired him on, I remember that first year he'd call it, he goes, coach, can I talk to you after a tough loss? He goes, Hey, I need you to not talk to me that way in front of kids. And we had like an hour talk about it. And he was absolutely right. You know, if I'm going to model what I want my kids to have as far as relationships, I got to do that with my assistant coaches, you know, and, and, and another thing, I tell you what, just kind of going off on a little side tangent here. I, the, the coaches that work for me are not Fiedler. There isn't one of them that is Eric Fiedler. And I, to be honest, I don't want to coach with myself. If that makes any sense, I want to coach with people with their own unique and different ideas. And I think that's good for kids, you know, and in my relationship with kids, I, I, there are so many great coaches in the state of Washington that aren't teachers. There, there are, and I, I, I sincerely mean that I'm lucky that I am a teacher and that uh, doesn't make me better or worse than anybody else. I'm just saying I'm fortunate and that way I can keep better tabs on my kids. I mean, I did a grade check a month ago on my baseball players. We, we haven't played baseball since March 13th, I think was the last day. And I did a grade check and I contacted every kid in my program and I said, hey, and, and I, I'm gonna tell you this, by the way, I know people listen to this, grades of even called baseball players are very, very good. We have some very good kids, some very smart kids. I contacted every one of them and said, hey, I'm so proud of your grades or you know what's going on in this class or, or, or that. And, and you know, the, the beautiful thing is immediately I get a response and the response isn't as short as mine. It's usually a lot longer. They want to know what I'm doing and how it's going for me. And they're concerned that I'm not enjoying teaching as much as I normally do. And I tell you what, it's just, man, this is why I do it. You know, I've, I've lost more games than I care to remember. You know, I definitely have, remember more games that I've lost than games that my teams have won. 
you know, and, it, but it's the relationship with kids is, is absolutely everything, you know, and we do what we, I mean, we always say that. So it's, it's fun to mess with the baseball players in the hallway. Um, if you come to Eden Call High School and, you know, it's in between classes, normal times, obviously not this COVID stuff that's going on, but normal times, if there's a baseball player walking down the hallway, either coach is messing with the baseball player or they're messing with coach, you know, and um, it's kind of, you'll see kids. We see kids, we have brand new school now. We have kids that they'll go out of the way to say hi to coach Murphy or coach Feather or coach Adam, you know, and it's a, uh, something that just keeps going on down the line. And so the relationship is anything, you know, and I, I, uh, I know we probably have to wrap this up pretty soon, but uh, 30 years ago, I said, I, I coached slow pitch softball and fast pitch for a few years, you know, and I have uh, some of those ladies, they're friends on Facebook, you know, and they're 45 to 48 years old, if you can imagine that. And they still say, Hey, happy birthday coach, or Merry Christmas coach. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, and that's pretty special to me. And I always go show my wife and go, look, this 48 year old woman who I used to coach said happy birthday to me. So it's, it's the coolest thing in the world, you know, and, um, you know, and it's not just the Travis Ishikawa's of the world that, uh, that I keep in touch with, you know, I, 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 I want to know about every one of them. And, you know, tragically, I just had a player that graduated two years ago, his roommate just killed himself, uh, two days ago or not two days ago Two two weeks ago, I guess. I can't remember what day. I don't remember what day it happened, but I just happened to be texting them, you know? And so that led to a, a really long conversation and a, a lot of follow-up conversations soon to come. And um, sometimes some of these kids, that's, that's, you know, parents are, you know, some great, some not so great. And all they have is coach, you know? And, and, and it, I, I think great programs are there for those kids when they leave the program, not just when they're in the program. Wow. Coach, we call that banter gold. Man. Yes. That was solid. Thank you. That, <laughs> that was good. That was almost a mic that drop. I don't even know what to say after that last little bit there, Coach. That was perfect. <laughs> uh, you know, you're 100%. If you aren't doing this for those type of things, yeah, we're here to win baseball games, but it's also to be able to run into a kid store years later yeah. and be able to. Yeah. They're not yeah. going to look the other way when they see Coach coming down the aisle. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think we've all had, probably we've all had coaches like that, right? Yeah. You know, and I, I played uh, football through my junior year in high school for Coach Bob Dunn, Hall of Fame coach. You know, and I didn't play my senior year. I didn't play my senior year. Coach Dunn asked about me every Sunday to my parents at church until he did stopped going. He died about uh, two years ago until he stopped going to church. He asked about me every Sunday. This is a guy that I quit his program, you know. And I don't have regrets for quitting this program. I wanted to focus on baseball, but I've never forgotten how much he seemed to care about me and how, how that made my parents just feel. It's like, man, here's a man. His program didn't work the best for our son, but that's neither here nor there. He cared more about the person than he did about the player. Oh, Absolutely. That's Coach, that's great. Well, we, we truly appreciate you coming on with us and spending a, an hour or so awesome. after, after hours away from your family. And, and thank you again. Thank you so much for being on yeah, with us. You bet. Thank you for the invite. I'm honored to be here. It was awesome. I had fun. Absolutely. We'll have to do it again. We'll be yeah, absolutely. We'll be right back with Jason and Kelly to wrap this thing up in the bullpen. Fungo Banner fans, we are back. We have some tweets that were requested from you, the listeners. Eric, what do we got? We got Mr. Max Price. Also, High School Coaches Club podcast. Check him out. Max, 
love what you're doing there, bud. Kids doing it at second base, cool. And I should probably tell you the question here before I tell you the answers. But tonight's one of the topics we covered was sign stealing. That what's your take? Uh, is the art of your signs been lost or sign stealing been lost? What's the ethics behind it? And Max, like I just said, said uh, kids doing it at second base, cool. Adults doing it, silly. Prepare your players and practice to let their skills win games. And the other one we got was Coach Matt Brown out of Zilla. Coach Matty, fellow Pepsi Pack alum. So we got a little shout-out there. Uh, it's part of the game. It's just instinct for my guys on second. It keeps my guys in the game. I think it's more about baseball IQ, just a thought. So, guys, we really appreciate you reaching out on the social media with us. It's a, a lot of fun for us when we get our listeners interacting with us on there. I know you guys are watching it closely, too, and and I guess I'm going to kick this this closing thing off here with what they said. Uh, you know, I think there was a lot there by Coach Fiedler that was it was a great episode. It was a lot of fun having him on. Thank you, Coach, for coming on with us. But, you know, this, I start with the sign-stealing thing. Um, you know, I think that's part of the game. And I know uh, if you're doing it the right way, if someone's giving you the signs and whatnot. And I think it's fun that he talked about the dynamics of the game with within the game of pretending like you're stealing their signs. And that's just – a whole nother mind blown option, but, um, you know, teaching your kids to be resourceful, doing it the right way. Don't be bringing out cameras and trash cans and, and videotaping people. But, uh, I just think it's a part of it. And I think it's also a part of teaching your kids on the defensive side to be aware and to know what's going on in your surroundings. So people aren't taking advantage of you. And I think that's a big, big possible thing there. And, and the other cool part, I loved uh, the conversation he had about his players and the relationships that he had with them. And, and, just even that last bit there about the guys after the life after baseball that he's able to to be able to reconnect with. I mean, heck, I brought up Snapchat, and an alumni happened to be just driving down the road outside my house on this weekend. I was able to catch up with him, and that was it was really cool to be able to do that. And and uh, it sounds like Coach has had a very successful career on where he's been, but most importantly, he's had an extremely fun career where he's been doing it the right way and creating relationships and just having fun with a, a game that's fun. Dang it. I mean, he talked about that. Where practice needs to be fun, competitive, and to keep kids accountable. But you can have fun while doing it. Yeah, yeah. No, Eric, that's right. You know, and I want to add to that um, those those questions that were were mentioned. You know, to our Vander fans out there, um, each time we get on, uh, we're going to put a topic out there on Twitter, and if you guys respond, we're going to read your your response on uh, one of our live podcasts. So. Uh, get those responses in there uh, the day of. Um, if you're hot on the topic, we'd love to share and, talk, and possibly talk about it. So we appreciate your support, uh, fans. Um, but Eric, like you said, uh, you know, base, you know, signs is, is a huge point um, in, of of the game, and I think that we um, either have that we either go too far or go too less. Um, it's super important, I think, not just in the aspect of communication to the the hitter, but I think it's super important to, you know, our defensive side of it, you know, uh, even to the point where we at prep, you know, you know, you probably have a lot of coaches out there listening that they call on their own pitches. Um, we don't allow our catchers to, to call their own game. It's just, that's what we have set up. I have a pitching coach and he calls, you know, every pitch and until we're up to a certain mark, then we let him, you know, take over. But, uh, you know, it, it's super important. The biggest thing I think I want to take up tonight is is the fact that you know coach Fieler really loves his players and I think you know that's a true coach I really do um I think there's a lot of us that like the 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 term coach um I think I've talked about this before I think that but there's guys out there that are just they're just 
they're coaches. I mean, they were born out of their mother's womb to be a coach. And uh, just from the day they, they took their first breath, is they were destined to be a coach. And what it means to be a coach is building those relationships. It's not about the wins and the losses. It's, it's, it's giving hope to those kids. And, uh, you know, coach, you could tell what, you know, his emotion, you know, I know that a lot of our listeners uh, aren't able to see visually, you know, being that we're on zoom, but, you know, to see, he was getting emotional guys. I mean, he really, really loves his players. And, you know, that says us something a lot about a, a coach like that. I mean, that's, I have coaches. I think you both probably have had coaches in the past that you, they're very dear to you. And I think that, you know, coach Feeler is that guy. I mean, I, he is, he's a grinder and, and he really cares about his guys and, and he's been doing the right things. And what does that show success on the field? You know, I mean, doing the things right pays off. A man who saves and works hard is going to have reaped the rewards. A man who, you know, it's, it's the example of the man who builds his house on either on the sand or builds them on the rocks, you know, and if he builds it on the rocks and the water rises, he's there. If he builds it on the sand, the foundation is unstable and it washes away. So it was great to have him on. It, it had a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll take a stab at the sign thing. I, I think... For youth listeners, high school listeners that, that maybe don't have as much time as we do at the college level to to work with team defense and signs and all those things is find a way to, to teach your guys multiple sign systems. And whether that's at second base, um, there's there's plenty of different systems out there to to change and be able to manipulate that if, if someone's stealing your signs, have something to, to fall back to, whether that's night signs and body touches or, or sign systems when you're following a certain number or following the count or following the outs. Um, I think the more that you can instruct at that level, it, it, it prepares players, especially catchers and pitchers, when they get to the next level and these sign systems and different systems are in place, they're able to catch on to that a lot quicker. Because um, I think we're all worried about people stealing signs and, and this happening. But the ones that don't worry are the ones that, that have that adaptation, that if, if they think someone's stealing their signs, they're quick to be able to adjust to get them off um, and be able to make adjustments on the fly. You know, and I think some of that where that technology got got into play is that, that you're starting to steal signs with nobody on base. That you have a camera and that catcher's, catcher's cup where in the past that was your safe space. There's no one stealing. There's nothing going on. But as soon as you throw a camera in there, when the catchers think they're safe and they can just put down pitch and location, all of a sudden you're getting stuff stolen and you have no reason why, you know? So I'm not saying at the high school or the college level that we should be working intricate sign systems with nobody on base, but um, to have some variety and be able to teach at that younger level for some adaptation, um, it can really help guys out uh, in the long run. Um, and then, yeah, hearing, hearing Coach talk about, um, I, I think it's some of the discipline stuff he talked about. And I think, you know, some of that might be missing a little bit at, at, the, at the different levels of baseball right now of, of, of teaching. This is how we, you know, cut our hair. This is how we put our uniform on. This is how we do all those things. And it's not that you want to create robots, but you create some things that are really important to you. You as a coach, what is it most important for us to do look like, show up at, and just have a couple things that are constant. It's not that you want to create everything as you're just creating these loyal soldiers, but have some team unity within what you do. 
Um, and, and I think the biggest one is, is, is how you arrive at a field. I, I think is a huge thing. It gets kind of overlooked. It's not that you have to walk chest out and be three in a line side by side and keeping right, left pace. But um, if you guys can stay together as a team um, and look like you're part of a team, you know, they're going to feel like it, not just a bunch of individuals with AirPods in and flip flops and shorts. It, it's, it can be sloppy. So there's a line between trying to be a team and, and trying to create um, these loyal soldiers, but um, find out what's most important to you and, and impress that on the players of why that's important. Um, and I think when you get to the business world without going on too much of a tangent, there are expectations. You have to fall in line with the expectations of the business that you work at or the profession that you work at. And if you have some discipline in being able to follow um, some team unity and, 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 and rules like that, guys are able to adapt a little bit better. That's very well said, guys. I think that, that wraps up a great episode. Thank you two for being on with us. Thank you, Coach Fiedler, for joining us and, and taking time out of your night to, to talk to the Fungo Banner podcast, guys. Please, if you enjoyed this one, get on iTunes. Please rate and review. And speaking of that, if you get on there, rate it, review it, take a nice little screenshot on your phone, and then send that to our DM at Fungo Banner PNW on Facebook and Twitter in our DMs. We'll let them go through the week. We'll put your name in a drawing. We got a coach's cage jacket, Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner cage jacket. Guys, this thing looks phenomenal. I can't wait to get hitting some fungos on it. We'll throw in a hat and a T-shirt and a drawing for the listener that rates and reviews and lets us know they did it because you can't always track who has done that on there. So, guys, until next time, please get on, follow us, rate us, review us. I hope you enjoyed this. Keep a lookout on Twitter and Facebook for some uh, fan interaction here. Guys. Take care of one another. Let's get back to baseball. Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter is part of the Big Country Media Podcast Network. Please check out all episodes anywhere you get your podcast. And for you iTunes listeners, please get on there, rate, and review our podcast. Check us out and follow for all your Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter updates on Twitter and Facebook at Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter.